It's the top of the hour, and you're listening to WLCA, WLCA HD1 Godfrey. And now, it's time for the WLCA Sports Show. Line them up for kickoff. Pop it in there, baby. Good morning and welcome into the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. We have a great show planned out for you this morning, and we're starting to really struggle over here to fit in our entire show into two hours. That's how much sports we have going on here today. We're going to be talking Cardinals baseball. Cardinals broadcaster Mike Claiborne is going to be joining us at 9.45 to talk some Cardinals baseball. The Sweet 16 begins tomorrow. Or tomorrow. I wrote this yesterday. It begins this morning, I think at 11.15 or so around there. So really excited for that. We're going to be breaking down some of those matchups. Opening day, it's only a couple of days away. And the Blues struggling right now. How can they get back on track? Uh, it feels like we've been talking about that too many weeks in a row now. A little Nathan. bit, yeah. I'm joined by Nathan Tucker and Logan Elliott. Boys, how are we doing this morning? Oh, doing solid. You know, we had a fun night last night at the high school football game between CM and Jerseyville. And yeah, ready to get to it today. Got a big weekend of sports. Whole weekend of sports. Yes, we do. And you said it perfectly. We have had a great night last night broadcasting Civic Memorial versus Jerseyville. You know, we've had back-to-back weeks now, Nathan, where we've been able to do uh, broadcast. Um, rival games and I mean those ones you can see the bad blood fueling a little bit it just makes it a little bit more more, more exciting they say they get a little chippy down there on the sidelines you can see you know a couple of unsportsmanlike conduct penalties a couple of guys you know pushing and shoving last night you could really see you know how much it meant to each sideline both sides you know both Jerseyville and CM last night yeah we'll pick it up we have a couple of highlights for you we'll pick it up with some first quarter action the Eagles were driving towards the end zone there late in the first quarter Hargrave to his right, two receivers out to the left side, snaps the ball, he's back in the backfield by himself. He has his receiver up the middle, he's gonna cut to the right side, it's Luke Parmentier all the way to the three yard line of Civic Memorial. Great pass there and a great combination from the quarterback to receiver. Just two plays later, Miguel Gonzalez put the Eagles on the scoreboard first. So first and goal, we'll see if CM just tries to send it up the middle. He's gonna hand it off to Gonzalez, He's going to get into the end zone, and that is a touchdown for the Eagles. Miguel Gonzalez sending it in, and the Eagles have their first lead on the season. Midway through the second quarter, the Panthers were trying to get back in the game but made a costly mistake. 5.30 to play and counting here in the second quarter. Heitzig under center, threw her once again in the backfield. One receiver out wide for, to the right side for the Panthers. There's going to be a quarterback sneak, it looks like, up the middle. And now they're going to say that there was a fumble on the play. And it was picked up by the Eagles. I want to say that it was Hunter Hargrave who picked it up. And that one went without saying. How about that? And then just when the half was about to end, CM was able to cash in on that mistake. Briar Arview under center. He is going to take it out to the right side. Looking for Parmentier. He's going to throw it over to the other side. Duplos wide open. Caught for the touchdown. And the Eagles extend their lead here as Briar Arview took it out to the right side, was trying to find a receiver on the right side of the end zone, found Duplo wide open on the opposite side, and the Eagles have a 12-0 lead early in this one. The lead was 12-0 at that point. The Eagles were able to add on to the lead with a two-point conversion. CM going to go for two, hands it off to Gonzalez. He is going to run on into the end zone, and CM's lead is up to 14-0 with 45.5 to play in the second quarter. In the fourth quarter, just when the Eagles were looking to seal the deal with a late touchdown, the Panthers were able to stop their momentum. 
Second down and eight on the 22-yard line. Arview has time deep. He's going to throw it deep, and it is going to be intercepted by the Panthers. It looked like Turbyville and Roberts, who had the interception deep down there, and a little bit of a battle, and it looks like Roberts is the one who came out victorious in that battle. Jersey's Logan Schultz, quarterback for the Panthers, was then able to almost immediately cut the lead in half. First down and 10, and he's going to have, Schultz is going to have a lane outside. He's going to get past the diving CM defender. He's going to cut inside, and he is going to end up in the end zone. What a play from Logan Schultz. The touchdown, and the Panthers are on the board just when they needed it here in the fourth quarter. That was the highlight moment of the game, in my opinion, the best play of the game, a 44-yard touchdown run from Logan Schultz, and the Panthers were able to get the, stop, the quick stop that they needed on defense and were able to get the ball all the way back to the Eagles 38 yard line with time for just one more play in an attempt to tie the game. Here we go, last play of the game. Schultz under center, threw her in the backfield. This is for all the marbles. They're gonna go deep, they have men going deep. Three receivers in the end zone. The throw is gonna be caught by Blake Carey but it's not gonna be enough. He is going to be tackled at the eight yard line and that will end the game. The Eagles win the ball game 14-7 on homecoming weekend. Civic Memorial gets the win. The CM Eagles win this one, defeating their rivals, the Jerseyville Panthers, 14-7. Both the Eagles and Panthers are 1-1 one one now on the season. I was able to chat with Eagles head coach Mike Parmentier after the game and get his thoughts on his team's performance. Man, it was a war. Um, I thought both teams played really hard. Uh, muddy conditions, obviously wet conditions with the football, and we uh, we did a great job of not turning it over. We had a you know the interception late in the game, but we, we had stressed ball security all week. Um, I thought our defense played amazing. Uh, obviously, they gave up a little bit at the end. But I think they were gassed, but we held on just enough. Offense played looked pretty good in the first half, and then had a couple time-consuming drives um, in the second half, but we couldn't finish it. But uh, you know, anytime we beat those guys. You know, that's that's a that's a good win for us. Coach Parmentier said it perfectly there, a fourteen to seven win, and anytime you're able to beat the rivals, it's good for you. And we talked we've talked about it a little bit, Nathan. You know, getting those rival wins sometimes, you know, even if it is been or has been a rough season, and not saying it has been for the Eagles. I, I like them. I think they're favored to win next week against Granite City, but you know, in, in times, you know, winning against that rival team just like makes the season a at least a piece of success uh, no matter what. Yeah, definitely. I say it's bulletin board material, right? It's these are the games that your guys in the locker room they're kind of you know building up for. You know that this is a big rivalry game. You know that you know you guys are going to kind of want to show out a little bit and have a good game. And I think you know specifically that CM defense really showed out against you know the big power, the big strong Grant Thur, a big fullback for Jerseyville who can really you know he could carry a load on his back, could potentially carry his that entire offense on his back for it with his size and. CM did a great job of, you know, he, he managed to get 100 yards today, but they kind of weathered the storm that was Grant Thewer. They managed to weather the storm that was this kind of, you know, three-headed Jerseyville rushing attack. And, yeah, I mean, it was a smash-mouth football game. It was a tough football game, a muddy football game, as Coach said there. But, yeah, it was a really, you know, a classic high school football game and a classic rivalry game. I tell you what, there were times of that ball game where it was just dragging out, I mean, a lot of running the ball, like you said, on Jerseyville's end, only threw the ball 
three times, and one of them was on that Hail Mary opportunity there. So they got got their first completion of the season. Of the season, yes, and I believe it was about a 30-yard reception. So, I mean, it was a nice play, and I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but I almost felt like towards the end of the game there, it was just Jersey running out of time. You could tell, and even Coach Parmentier said it, See, the defense was gassed, they were tired, the offense hadn't had anything going in the second half. But the Eagles were able to hold on, so it was nice uh, to see the home team and my uh, high school get a win against a rival, especially homecoming night. It's always good to see uh, your team um, get the win. You know, moving on now, we have, uh, let's see, who do we have next week? We have Waterloo at Jersey, so we're going to be sticking with the Panthers. Um, the, the team that uh, CM lost to week one, Waterloo, and then the team that they beat week two, Jersey. Yes, so the way that the NBC is working this year, the Mississippi Valley Conference, is it's set up into really one conference but two divisions almost to where you have four and four on each side and Granite City and uh, Collinsville kind of are joining this kind of tournament play this year. So the first three games is almost a pool style play where you're you know seeing how your record forms out and then you build seeding out of those and then the last three games of the season are a tournament style to where you are facing off against uh i guess in a in an elimination not elimination because every team still gets six games like a round but robin in a, tournament but in, but in a placement to figure out okay, who's gonna yeah. be first who's gonna be second so you after so the first three weeks they know who they play after that they don't know it, it's just week by week figuring out who they're going to play so you know, in a COVID season, everything's thrown off. I think it's kind of it's good. It's yeah, good for the it's kids. A little, it's a little interesting. It's kind of like you know what baseball did with the shortened sixty game season, the expanded playoff. It's you know you're kind of throwing everything a little bit different. Kind of like how hockey is having their you know the the different conferences or the different you know divisions this year. High school football is kind of adapting, and I mean obviously we're talking about high school football in spring, so we're all kind of adapting here. Yeah, no kidding. High school football in the spring. Definitely different, but you know what? I can get a, I can I can get on board with it. Hey, we're through the worst with the weather, hopefully, yeah, exactly. and that's that's the best part. Hopefully, uh, God willing, fingers crossed, we don't have to deal with any rain. But you know, the last couple of day games have been chilly, but hopefully, you know, it's supposed to warm up a little bit now, so that will be nice for sure. As I said, next Friday night, we're going to be uh, covering Waterloo at. Jersey, the Panthers, and the Bulldogs facing off should be a great game, so be sure to tune in. 7 o'clock, 89.9 this week. We got got a little bit of action as far as uh, what we're going to be covering this week goes, Nathan. I know Sunday we're covering some Lewis and Clark baseball. Uh, The Blazers facing off against uh, Parkland. Always a good matchup. Parkland just a... A Juco powerhouse almost when it comes to baseball. So always fun to watch those two play off. And then Tuesday, uh, we're going to be facing off against the Lindenwood uh, JV team. So it's always great, you know, get some competition against some higher level um, ball teams for sure. Then we also have baseball on Friday afternoon also. Lewis and Clark facing off against North Central. We have Friday and Saturday next week. Lewis and Clark facing off against North Central. So plenty of LC baseball coming up. LC soccer, men's and women's starting next week. So we're going to be covering that uh, or two weeks away actually. So that's not far away. So it's good to get these sports back up and running. Yeah, and you know, kind of, I'll take a moment here to kind of unfortunately note the end of the men's basketball season. The men managed to get their first win of the year last. And what was a great game? Yeah, great game last Saturday against Lincoln Trail. I think and, it's what 67, 66. Yep. Came down to the last shot. That that's exactly right. It was a you know really thrilling game. You know, great to be on the call for that one. And you know, sadly this week the men's basketball team announced that they had a positive COVID case and had to go into quarantine for the remainder of the season, which canceled 
the remaining four games on the men's basketball schedule. So the Trailblazer men will end their season, but they did get the win, and I think that'll, you know, they can at least hang their hat on, you know, going out on a high note. You said it best. They got the win to finish the season. So, you know, a rough season, but like I said, you want to finish on a high note. They were able to finish on a high note, not knowing it'd be the end of the season, but better uh, than nothing for sure. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking MLB, we are less than a week away from opening day. We're going to be giving our predictions for each of the six divisions, or we'll see if we'll get to the six divisions, but we're going to go ahead and give it our best. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. It's the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. I'm Ethan Hannaford, joined by Nathan Tucker, Logan Elliott. It's time to talk some Major League Baseball. We're at the point in the at the point in spring training where no one really cares about the spring training games anymore except for the players themselves. It's really meaningful for those guys that are trying to make those rosters. Yes. You know? AKA John Nagowski, the Nog father. Yeah, you know, a big bit of a big week for him, I would say. We're gonna get talk about him a little later. Can he make that ball team? I hope he does. I really do. But let's go ahead and let's focus on the MLB as a whole now. We're gonna go ahead and give our predictions. For each of the divisions, and we're going to start with the American League because save the best for last, the National League. You know, we're a little biased, though, here in St. Louis. A little bit. Just a little bit. Let's start with the AL East. Before we do that, Logan, I didn't really get a, I didn't really ask you how you're doing this morning. We just went right into high school football. Logan, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm doing great. Good. Can't complain. Can't complain. That's what's up. That's what we like to hear. So let's go ahead. Let's get it kicked off with the AL East. Nathan, why don't you go ahead and give us your projected standings for the AL East, then we'll kind of talk about it uh, and see where we go from there. I say I kind of I would say I kind of lean the same way a lot of other people do with the AL East. I'll have the Yankees in that number one spot. I got Tampa Bay at two. I think Tampa Bay still stays pretty strong this year. Toronto at three, Boston at four, and Baltimore. You know, and if I could put Baltimore lower than five, I would, but you cannot. <laughs> How about you, Logan? Personally, I actually. I'm predicting Blue Jays are going to be one, Rays are going to be two, Red Sox are... Uh, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. We got to stop you right there, and we yeah. got to talk about this. Yankee. <laughs> we got to pull up the train here. We got to pull second. up the train. What you thinking on the Yankees? Personally, I feel like they're going to have, like, I'd say a slump type type of year if all the, if all the players aren't healthy. So it it's like... I want to put them at two, but at the same time, I feel like the Red Sox have a little bit more than what the Yankees do. Ooh. I would be, I'd be borderline saying that is some crazy talk there. You know, here's what, here's what, here's what I'm gonna go ahead and say. I, I think that the Yankees are, I think the Yankees are at this point the clear favorite to win that division. You look at the amount of pitching that they have. They only added to that this offseason, having Corey Kluber, um, Jameson Talion. I mean, they already and Tyone, had a, I think, is a really great signing for a middle a, rotation they guy. They brought back DJ LeMahieu, who's been a top-five MVP candidate the past two years, the best second baseman in baseball Top five at mm, yeah, second best is, I don't know, maybe stretch. I'm he's, forgetting He's someone. in that conversation. He's up there for sure. And I got to say, I think that at this point, Logan, I think that the Yankees almost are the runaway favorite in that division for me personally. I'm going to dip my my difference with Nathan is I have the Blue Jays at number two and the Rays at three. 
Listen, I, I like the Rays as a team. I like the way they play the game. It's They've very, taken a step back. It's very similar to the Cardinals. However, they lost Blake Snell. They lost Charlie Morton this offseason. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that kind of sets up going into the season. I know that they're supposed to have a lot of young pitching potential, which, to be fair, I don't really know about at this point. So if they prove me wrong, that's why it's called potential. Them. Absolutely, they were. I believe they were 13 or 14th overall in most in a, in a lot of offensive categories. You're kind of in the middle of the pack last season. So you know and you, you have, kind of saw that in the playoffs in the World Series, especially that that offense had you know kind of trouble competing with an offense, especially like the Dodgers. However, if you do have teams like the uh, or teams, players like Randy Rosarina that are able to, you know, continue to have success uh, in this uh, this season, carrying in from the postseason last year. You're going to need that from the Rays this season. So I'm going to go ahead and say Yankees at one, Blue Jays at two. I like what the Blue Jays added, even though Springer's starting off the year on the IL. I think they'll still be a huge plus. Marcus Simeon is a great add that takes away from the A's big time, and we'll talk about the West in just a moment. But I have Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, Red Sox. I don't think the Red Sox are there yet. And then, like you said, the Orioles at five are just god-awful. They're really bad. They're a triple-A team at best. Yeah, they're they're not good. Give them a couple years, you know, you start building up. They're like the they're like the Astros were 10 years ago when the Astros were the worst team in, in, in the National League. And, but now you look at the Astros, they were so bad for so long, they picked up so many like. I mean, that would be way more them. hopeful than Baltimore Orioles fans probably are at the <laughs> hey, moment. Hey, they got Adley Rutchison or Rutschman or whatever, you, however you say it, the catcher from Oregon State. That dude's a monster. So we'll see We'll see how that goes. But that was the, on the MLB Network's like 30 ball clubs in 30 days. That is who they interviewed was Adley, which is a – I don't even know if he's in the majors yet, which is crazy to me that there's no one there that that's the guy you're interviewing. It's just crazy to me. So let's go ahead and let's look at the AL Central now. I'm, I'll go ahead and start it off. I have the Twins winning this one. I have the Twins at the top, the White Sox following closely at number two, Indians at three, Royals at four, and Tigers at five. So my mindset here, guys, is I a lot of people are really high on the White Sox. Losing Eloy Jimenez within the last couple of days really hurts. That's a big piece of that offense. And on top of that, I think a lot of people are kind of forgetting that the Twins two years ago won 100 games. And despite, you know, they've had their struggles in the postseason, but I think the Twins are still a top-level team. Uh, Logan? Personally, I'm going to go along just with you, Ethan, say Twins 1, White Sox 2, Royals in that in that three. I don't have a problem with the Royals in the three conversation. I think the Indians, I think the Indians are a better team, but I like what the Royals added this season. I don't know if I'd say they're there yet, but I'm not, I'm okay with the Royals uh, are making a case that the Royals could get a three spot. Yeah. And then the Indians. Uh, yep. Sorry. Indians at the four and then tigers at the five. Nathan. Yeah, I will be the guy who uh, defends Tony La Russa and the Chicago White Sox <laughs> on this show. I think that they can get over the line just enough. You, you mentioned Eloy Jimenez losing him this week. That's going to be a big blow. And I think the White Sox fans that I know and follow online were you know, a bit distraught that day whenever that news came out. Hey, luckily for them, Nikola Vucevic got signed to the Bulls. or went, Tried yeah, to trade yeah, to the yeah. Bulls. So they were kind of happy about that. But yeah, I mean... I, I like the you know I like the kind of interesting project that Chicago has with you know this 
veteran leader and Tony La- yeah veteran leader and Tony Larusa coming to this team with you know a lot of young kind of fun I guess players that in the past would have been kind of the opposite to Tony Larusa but I think you know the White Sox are going to try to prove that you can kind of balance that old school approach to baseball with this new school you know more fun bat flips let's you know let's have fun out there let the kids play as they say you know that kind of style of baseball that the White Sox kind of became known for in the past you know last year the past couple of years so I'm you know really bought into this project right now I think you know losing Eloy Jimenez for as long as they're going to have him you know for as long as he's going to be gone that's going to hurt this team no doubt but I think they still can just get just about over the line against the Minnesota Twins, at least in the division. And there is not a difference in that division to where I'm saying that you are crazy for picking that because I think that those teams are going to be so close to each other, and it could really go either other way. I think that... I think if Eloy Jimenez was going to be healthy all year, I think that would kind of help me you know, be more sure of the White Sox. But I think him being gone... That's going to probably swing a few games one way or the other. I think at least, you know, I would say, you know, with trying to think of advanced stats and wins above replacement and all those kind of fun things advanced right now. metrics. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation for, for sure and what that brings into it. And, you know, it brings up an interesting conversation as, you know, their GM, a lot of fans saying, why are you even trying for that ball the way that you did? The way that he tore his uh, pectoral muscle, he was... Reaching over the, and for our people on Facebook Live, you know, giving you a little bit of an example here. <laughs> giving the visual example. For the radio people, you know, he was reaching over the fence and almost like wrapped, dangled his arm like Vince Carter did in the slam dunk contest. <laughs> and then he, when he came down, I guess that's where the tear happened and his arm was still up there. And a lot of people were just like, why Why are you even going for that yeah, ball? Yeah, say it's spring training. That's probably a ball you could probably uh, let go and, you know, live to fight another day. But, hey, you, you'll, you appreciate the hustle, right? You appreciate yes. If you're a coach yeah. out there, you appreciate a guy trying to go after a home run ball, try to snag a ball like that in a situation that may, may not necessarily even be, you know, necessary for him to make the team. But you appreciate the hustle. I should have I should have known this going in to this segment that we weren't going to get to all six teams it was, or all six divisions it just wasn't realistic so we're going to push nl back to next week and we're going to go ahead and have just ale this week and that makes me feel so much better that i don't have to rush through the nl because that'll save us some trouble yeah Mm -hmm. so let's go ahead and let's look at the al west now the al west is a very really interesting division this season and that i think that it is compared to the other two teams in the american league it's probably the weaker of the three However, I think that it's going to be lead to some very interesting conversations and who can maybe sneak into that playoff spot. I think team that wins the I think the team that wins the division in the West could like the Central in the National League be a team that is worse than some wild card teams in the uh, American League. So, I have the Astros winning the American League West, but I don't think that they are a clear-cut, you know, they're running away with the division. I don't know how much pitching there is. I know Lance McCullers Jr. is a guy that has been an absolute beast. I don't know how much else they have, how much more they have, and I'm sure that they're, you know, for a lot of people to be favoring them as the team that win this division, they have to have something there. The Angels, Los Angeles, I'm going with them at number two. I've been high, kind of high on the Angels and what they've been able to do this offseason. I've really liked the production that they have. And I think they're just about at the point where they can compete for a uh, a wild card spot, maybe getting back in the playoffs for the first time since 2014. 
Mike at, Trout in the playoffs. Mike Trout in the playoffs. Oh. Um, I have at number three, I have the A's. I think that losing Simeon is going to be kind of the make or break almost for that team. I think they just lost too much, lost some bullpen pieces also, but also did add some decent bullpen pieces. Trevor Rosenthal out in Oakland now, so I think that's a good add. Uh, but I don't think that they're a playoff team this year, but they still do have one of the best uniforms in baseball and those green, those like straight green jerseys. Oh, those are sick. Um, the Mariners, I have at four, and the Rangers at five. The Mariners are kind of like the Orioles, but a step ahead of the Orioles to where they have some great minor league pieces, but they're just not There's there There's some yet. good young p- pieces you know, in that Mariners organization, on that Mariners team, but yeah, they're you know a ways away. Texas, not so much. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'll go ahead and I'll go to you now, Logan. How what how is he, what is your setup look like in the American League West? Personally, I have the Angels at the one, and then the I'd personally say Astros two, Ra- Rangers three. Athletics four and then Mariners five. So give me your mindset behind the Rangers at three because I think that's a bit of a surprise because I personally have the Rangers being a team that's going to struggle this year. So what is your mindset behind the Rangers being a team that maybe gets the third in the AL West? Because I personally feel like they have such a good. I'm trying to figure out the word behind it. Um, young team, a lot of youth. Yeah, a lot of youth out there. And they truly, if they they come up to be a playoff potential team, they can show it that they're a playoff potential team. I don't think that they're any, I don't, I would say maybe they could reach a four spot, but I don't think that they're anything better than a four this year. I don't think that they're anywhere near being a team that can compete for the playoffs at this point. Nathan, are you agreeing with me on that? Yeah, I think that the Rangers kind of have some work to do. I don't disagree. I think that there are. You know, Eventually down the road, maybe some potential, but I just don't know if it's there yet. You know, there, there's a good amount of these teams in baseball now, right, where you can you can kind of talk about the young potential and you can talk about the future of these teams because, frankly, these teams are obviously not competing right now. Like, they're, you know, the Orioles, the Rangers, there are several teams in baseball that are making it pretty obvious to their fan bases, to baseball fans, to anyone who's paying attention that we're not competing right now. We're okay with not competing right now. We're working toward either building a project for the future or we're working on, you know, restructuring the way we do things. And right now, I would say the Rangers are kind of in that category of, you know, needing they're in the a rebuilding phase and they have a young core to do so like you said logan so you know they're in a position where they could kind of improve i would say you know five to, i think it's a five year or more project for them we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna have some blues hockey talk um looking forward to this uh you know we're gonna get to talk a little bit about um bob plager which is the sad part but also um you know we're gonna figure out what can Uh, the Blues do to get back on track at this point in the season. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. Sports Show on 89.9. I'm Ethan Hannaford, joined by Nathan Tucker, Logan Elliott. We're going to talk some Blues hockey. The Blues have been struggling as of recent, but before we even get into talk on the Blues performance as of recent, we definitely have to touch on the sad news that uh, came up this week for the Blues. Um, Unfortunately, on Thursday, Blues legend Bobby Plager passed away in a car accident at the age of 78. Bobby Otherwise known really as Mr. Blue, represented 
what a true love of St. Louis looks like, and his love for Blues hockey will never be forgotten. Rest in peace uh, to Bobby Plager. Nathan, I'll let you go ahead and start. You know, looking at Bobby Plager um, as a guy that just represented this city so well, what can you say on him? I mean, I think it can be you know pretty quickly or pretty flat, plainly put by the fact that he was, you said Mr. Blue. He was the embodiment of Blues hockey as a human being. I mean, he was you know there from the beginning. He was one of the original Blues. He was... You know, back in the 60s when we were, you know, Jock Plant, Glenn Hall, those guys were in goal and, you know, wearing those classic Jason masks, goalie masks. And, you know, he, he, you know, embodies blues hockey. He has been blues hockey for as long as blues hockey has existed. And, I, you know, the blues have a bit of a shorter history than the Cardinals, but I think that Bob Plager really stands the test of time. He's been like, you know, despite not, you know, Bob Plager, not a, you know, NHL record leading, you know, point goal scorer or point good or any of those types of things. But he was really like the stand the man, the stand usual of this Blues organization. He was the guy that was always around the team. I mean, speaking as a Blues fan who would go to the practices at the old St. Louis Mills back when the, they used to practice at the ice zone at the Mills, I'd always see Bob Plager standing up in the corner watching the Blues practice. He was, the, you know, he didn't have to do those things. He didn't have to be a part of this team on a daily basis the way he chose to be throughout his entire life. And he really dedicated his life. He dedicated his life to, you know, his brother Barclay. And obviously whenever they won the cup, there was that very... You know, that really, you know, meaningful, that really beautiful ceremony where they went to uh, Barclay's grave and he got to share, you know. Such a cool ceremony. Yeah. Such a cool moment. He got to share the cup with Barclay there. So, you know, that's one of those things I'm kind of very, you know, thinking back about and getting a little choked up thinking about right here is it's very, it's great that we got to get, you know, St. Louis got a cup for Bob Plager, for him, for Barclay, you know, before that this, you know, this tragic event happened and. It could have been, you know, we the Blues fans, all Blues fans were waiting so long for that cup, but no one deserved it more than Bobby. And I'm pretty, I'm really glad that he got to get it before, you know, he passed on. You know, uh, you couldn't have said it better looking back at that cup ceremony and everything. You know, Bobby got the, the cup for a day and they went out to, um, to Barclays, Barclay Plagers, um, tombstone to his, uh, to the cemetery. Um, and they, you know, shared a cold one with all of him and a bunch of his friends. And they, uh, man, some of the blues players a, were there. I'm pretty some sure some of the blues players. It was such a cool moment to see, you know, and see Bobby finally being able to celebrate with a cup. Um, and you know, looking celebrating back, seeing, with his brother, seeing being able to see a lot of that in recent days has been, you know, seeing a lot of that stuff come back up has been really cool because, you know, for me. For those that don't know, I'm only 20 years old. I started following the Blues much closer in 2016 when they made that run to the Western Conference Finals. And since then, my love, my following for the Blues has just kind of grow, has grown every year. Um, as a relatively young fan, I didn't really know too much about Bobby Plager. Uh, I knew he was a big part of the history of the team, you know, with the retirement of his jersey just a year or two ago. And I knew that that I knew clearly, you know, the reception that he was getting, seeing his face in a lot of places, seeing him on the hype videos for the playoffs and the cup run. You knew that he was an important part of this franchise, but I didn't really understand Bobby Plager and what he meant to this city, to this organization. Since his tragic death, I have been able to learn 
I feel, you know, I, I I don't understand completely, but I've been able to learn so much about what he meant to this city, to the fan base of the Blues. Nobody loved the Blues more than this man did. Nobody loved this city more than this man did. When you and the ask, city loved him back. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And when you when you ask anyone in the Blues organization, I mean, when you ask anyone about this guy, I mean, everyone has something about him, whether it be St. Louis athletes or St. Louis uh, regular citizens. It doesn't matter. People in the Blues organization, everyone has something to say about Bobby Plager and the kind of guy that he was. And everything that I've heard shows that he cared more about the sport in itself. He cared about fans genuinely as people, players genuinely as people, people in the organization, more, more than just you know surface level. He wasn't afraid to recognize if a player was struggling and go and pick him up and completely change conversation and not even talk about hockey. He wasn't... I heard someone on 101 ESPN the other day sharing a story about how um, he asked... Uh, a guy asked for Bobby to get for him to sign autographs on pieces of notebook paper for his kids. He looked at the paper, chuckled, went to his car and grabbed two, uh, you know, pictures of him when, in his playing days, signed them for both of his kids. I mean, that's the kind of guy that he was. He cared about the genuine person. And St. Louis is going to have a hole as far as a guy that fills in as that you look at what the city of St. Louis has lost in 2020, 2021 in athletes. I mean, the Cardinals, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson, um, and then Bob Plager. There's so many more that I mean, but those are like the, the, the headliner ones for uh, St. Louis sports that have been lost um, uh, in the last year or so. And I mean, just so sad, but St. Louis definitely missing a hole as far as that. I, what that identity looks like in a guy that, did so much for not only the city, not only St. Louis hockey, but the city of St. Louis. I mean, you look at what the city has, you look at the hockey and how, I mean, it feels like, I mean, it was just a couple years ago in the, what, the first round, we had like five or six guys from St. Louis get drafted. That's what it's like these days. St. Louis is becoming a real hockey town. A lot of these kids are coming up and they're hockey players. They're legit. And a lot of that was Bobby Plager. Yeah, say a lot of that was, you know, the impact that, you know, Bobby Plager and, you know, you, you kind of touched on St. Louis hockey and the effect that, you know, Bobby Plager not just involved around the blues, but involved around the hockey scene of St. Louis in general. And I think that, you know, all the way down the line to peewee hockey, to high school hockey, to club hockey, if, you know, for those of, those of us who went to high schools that didn't have a ho- hockey team, like me specifically, you know, it, you know, Hockey, you know, play, kids that played hockey, players that played hockey, you know, the whole entire area was affected by, you know, what Bobby Plager and the Blue, you know, what they were able to kind of build in the city as a hockey city because, you know, especially without, you know, the way the city kind of embraced, you know, Bobby Plager and I would say kind of embraced the Blues, especially here lately in the past, I would say, a couple decades or so. You know, this the city is kind of burgeoned around the sport of hockey and is probably, you know, like you say, without Bobby Plager, you kind of question whether or not St. Louis does become that level of hockey town. It be- doesn't does it actually become that level of, you know, producing these NHL caliber players all the time. But well, I think that with a, you know, I mean, Bobby Plager was such a huge part of the construction, the building, you know, the process of getting the Centene Community Ice Center here, that huge hockey facility over in Missouri um, in the 
in the red metro region of St. Louis uh, in the right suburbs. by the Hollywood Casino. Yeah, I mean, when you look at what he was, I mean, how much of an important piece. There's a reason that I don't know if one of the rinks is called the Bobby Plager Rink or something. Yeah, one one the of them definitely is. I, I don't remember. I don't remember which one, but because there's like three rinks there, but one of those rinks is the Bobby Plager Rink. And I mean, you just look at how much of an influence he has had on that. I mean, but he was such a huge piece of that, and I have no doubt in my mind that St. Louis hockey it's just going to continue to grow. I have no doubt in that, but. There's definitely going to be a piece uh, that feels like it's missing for a long time. It's definitely going to be missing from, you know, maybe not necessarily specifically of St. Louis hockey, but definitely going to be missing from the Blues and the Blues organization because he was just a constant presence for the Blues. We didn't even have time to talk about, you know, the Blues struggles right now. The Blues lost last night 4-1 to against Anaheim. Well, the less we talk about it, probably the better. Like like you said, it's it's been a struggle lately. There's been, uh, uh, there's a lot of trying to figure out what is the answer right now for the blues but honestly you know it, it just feels it, it feels so much um it feels so much more right to just you know take time to talk about bobby plager and just what he meant to this organization the franchise um, this city as a whole so we're going to leave it on that rest in peace to bobby plager and we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to have some cardinals baseball talk we are a week away from opening day uh, I don't know about you, but I'm like bouncing in my seat. I'm so excited over here, Nathan Tucker, and really looking forward to getting back to it. Like I said, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on College Radio's Best. It's the WLCA Sports Show on College Radio's Best. Baseball time, boys. Baseball time is here. St. Louis, we are back at it. A full 162. Expected to be played. God willing, it's played. I'm going to lose my mind. Fingers if it's crossed. Not. I'm going to lose my mind if it's not played. Uh, Unless, you might get 160 or 159 or something like that. Stop it. We're less than a week away. Thursday, the Cardinals start their season against the Reds on the road in Cincinnati. Jack Flaherty on the mound against Wellington Castillo for the Cardinals. And boy, oh boy, am I excited to see what Jack Flaherty can do in a regular season game. Once again, I'm really excited to see how he's going to perform this year. I expect him to be back to the Jack Flaherty that everyone expects him to be. I really do. I think he's going to have a. I think he's going to have a really solid year, and I'm looking forward to being able to see um, him get on the bump for the Cardinals to start off the season. Let's go ahead and look at some of these 26-man rosters. Just a few weeks ago, we had some predictions for this, and I think that. Um, for each of us, I think most of these would probably stay the same. However, I think there might be a couple of things that might be, might be you know changing a little bit. And the big one for me um, is that you know it seems like just about everything is set. Maybe you have a guy or two in the bullpen. You're trying to figure out who's going to be there, who's going to start in AAA, and then you also have that bench spot, which a lot of people I think assumed it would go to utility infielder Edmundo Sosa to start off the season. And then you'd have, you know, Rundone, Nagowski, and the Miners. Listen, at this point, I'm you you gotta get John Nagowski in there, the Nog father. I mean, you have I, I in my opinion, he has forced his way into that not the lineup, but onto that roster one hundred percent. I mean, you look at what he has been able to do, eleven hits and twenty eight at bats, two home runs, eleven RBIs. This is the big standout. Only three strikeouts and nine base on balls, nine walks. 
that right there is the stat that says ring-a-ding-ding to me because you have a guy that that shows he's taking good at-bats. And that's what they have talked about so much for John Nagowski. He's not a guy that's going hit to the, hit the crap out of the ball you know, power-wise. He's not going to be the guy that puts up the home run, the power numbers. But he's going to give you a good at-bat every time that he goes out there. And he has proven that this spring. I know it's a short, small sample size, but he has proven that that's the kind of ball player that he is. And I think that he has forced his way into... The, onto this roster at this point. You agree, Nathan? I think he's at least forced himself into a very tough conversation to make this roster. I kind of, my, my only kind of question really with getting, you know, the Nog father, John Nagowski, into this roster is you don't necessarily want, you know, if he's producing like this, you don't necessarily want him sitting on the bench and well, where, he's, a, he's a first baseman, so where a, else are they going to put him is the question yeah. that I have. You know, I mean, I, for the up for the foreseeable future, I don't know where else you put him. You got Goldie at first. He's a he maybe could play third. I think they said he he's a corner infielder. Got another maybe? got another kind of good guy playing third base for this team now. So too. yeah, okay. So I mean, if you have a guy that's going to help you on the offensive side, have him in the majors. You know, I mean, I don't think that there's anywhere in the future po- to put him. It's a good position as a bench bat. I think because I think that that's obviously where the worth has been found, right? That's where Nagowski's been so successful. He's been really good at the plate. It seems to make the most sense. Yeah. The problem. The problem is, is that we just, you know, if it, what do you do with him other than as a pinch hitter, as a bench bat? I mean, is I he coming you... coming in on those like every fourth, fifth day as a like you know backup third baseman, first baseman guy, and that's yeah. basically. That's what I would have him for. Let's say if if that's like kind of the level, I just don't know if that's where you kind of want to cap him at, or if you want to necessarily believe that he could be, you know, something else, or if you want to, if you believe that he's a, you know, you know, product of the future potentially, if you want to try to develop him further down the line, if you know, I don't know how much more development there there really is. I think that he is taking major league at bats against major league teams. I'm saying have him with the ball club now. They're saying. You also have Matt Carpenter there. You know, you talked about, and that's what makes this conversation difficult. Is yeah, there's just is, a lot of moving Matt parts. You have Matt Carpenter that can play everywhere in the infield, just about. You know, he's not going to catch. He's not going to play shortstop, but he can. You know, he can play third base if you want to. First base, second base. But Carpenter has one hit this spring. He has not looked good this spring. And the 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 reality that you have to face as a fan is how much are you going to get out of Matt Carpenter this season, really? John Nagowski. How much if you're the on the uh, in the front office of this team? How much are you going to get out of Matt Carpenter's contract this season? You're paying that man an awful lot of money. I don't care. And I mean, I'll I'll I, if it, I I was the GM and it's easier said than done. I would buy him out right now. Let's say that uh, like again. You 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 say easier said than done. There, I think that'll be a very hard decision. That There's, would be a very hard move for the Cardinals to make. I'm not going to say he's not going to get opportunities, but the guy has just not performed, and he's been consistently struggling for years or for a couple of years now. And spring training just seems to be a continuation of what we've seen in previous regular seasons. I just don't know if you can say we're going to give you the nod over John Nagowski, a guy that has taken phenomenal at bats in a baseball. In a league where the kind of player that John Nagowski is is getting more and more rare every season, John Nagowski is a guy that would be perfect for the Cardinals for that late for that late game, you know, late inning at bat that you need a guy that have a tough at bat to get on base. That's what John Nagowski can do for you. Matt Carpenter, what has he done? His strikeout rate has gone up, and I love Matt Carpenter. I have his jersey at home, but I just don't know if there's much that 
I can really say as far as that. I think John Nagowski needs to be on this roster. Are you agreeing with me, Logan? Personally, yes, because you look at Car- Carpenter's stats, for example. He had about a around a 36 home, home run. What, 2017 or 2018? 20, 2018. He had a 36 home run. If he was back to that Carpenter, I would say he he's worth it. Well, but, of course. I mean, if you have him as a if you have him as a top up, I mean, he was an MVP candidate. I mean, at that season, so I mean to argue that yeah, he absolutely if he was at that number. But even if he was putting up half of those numbers, I'd be okay with it. You know, him being a guy that can perform at this level. But of course, going along with what you said. Nagowski has pr- proven to me from what I've I've seen at least in spring training as you were saying how he's he's just that that key player I I'd say that we would really need on the bench. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that he's a guy at this point that you need to have on the bench. Edmundo Sosa hasn't done much. Justin Williams has an they now announce he does have a fourth option. So, you know, they can start with him in the minors. I think that there's a lot of stuff. It's crazy that, how they find those options just laying around, huh? Well, that was something they had to go to the yeah. MLB with and they had to figure out that situation. It was a weird situation, but I'm glad a they lot of did. weird situations with rookies in baseball. I'm glad though that they did because it was that that first uh, that first kind of time that he got brought up with the Rangers, it was really weird and it was a very so they don't, I don't know if they had to pay for that option to get it back or how that worked with Major League Baseball, but they were able to do so, which I'm glad because I don't know. He hasn't exactly wowed me or anything. He's not Major League ready, I would say. John Nagowski has wowed me. He has impressed me to the point that I'm like, you got to have this guy in the lineup. So I, I, I'm going to say yes. Final final say before we move on from it. Nathan, are you saying yes or no? To start going, the season. I'm leaning no to start the season. And Logan? I'm saying yes. Okay, so we got two yeses, one no. You're out. Ruled, Nathan Tucker. So <laughs> let's go ahead and... Hey, hey you, tell, you tell this front office to shove Matt Carpenter to the side. <laughs> listen, listen, okay, we're, we're, we're done with it because we got to talk about Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader is now on the IL. He will start the season on the IL due to a flare-up in his forearm. He, will, he uh, actually received a uh, PRP injection. Uh, Mike Shield announced that, and then they also ran several scans this past week on the forearm, right elbow, Bader, and they found out there's no damage to the ligament, which is a good thing. You know, we can say that he, we're not going to see any extended time um, missed from Bader, but he's going to spend a, have to be on the, the IL for the start of the season, so it leaves a hole in the third outfield spot, which we're now going to talk about. Who fits best in that spot? We just talked about Justin Williams as a potential option. We got Lane Thomas. I think it's I think it's safe to say, can we all agree, that it's going to be Carlson in center and O'Neal in left field to start off the season, and we're going to be figuring out who the right At field this guy point, is going yeah. to be. So who do you guys lean towards as being the favorite for that position? Are you thinking, I mean, they had Tommy Edmond playing right field in yesterday's spring training game. You got Lane Thomas, as I said, Justin Williams. There's several different pieces. I mean, Heck, you got the Nogfather who played outfield a couple seen, of days seen ago. Seen Dino, Austin Dean has been getting Austin some Dean's reps. Austin Dean's been getting some time. So uh, I'll start with you, Nathan. Who is your favorite at this point to have that uh, right field spot on opening day? I want to say it's Lane Thomas as the favorite kind of in the clubhouse at the moment right now because you know, I think without any you know further you know st- spring training intrigue or you know potential injuries or anything like that, I think it just makes sense to have the guy that you were kind of you know, thinking about having on the roster already or being, you know, an, an extra outfielder, he might as well kind of slide into that role. You know, I think 
Austin Dean hasn't necessarily looked terrible. I think Austin Dean hasn't looked necessarily amazing either. I think Austin Dean probably falls just a little bit short of getting that spot, but I I kind of lean toward the cardinal method of making Tommy Edmond play right field just because I feel like that's that's such a cardinals thing to do. You have a very good second baseman in Tommy Edmond, so a very cardinals move would be to tell him to hey, go play right field for us right now. We kind of need you out well, there. He's he's proven that he can. Yeah, he's I'm, proven I, that he can. I don't want to say do he's that. not a capable right fielder, but I think that. Man, I think this is such a crystal clear opportunity to give Lane Thomas a chance to get some consistent time. That has been the problem for the Cardinals' young outfielders for the last, what, two years at least, is you're not giving all of these guys consistent time on yeah, the field. I mean, field. That, that's probably why Bader and O'Neill really haven't been able to progress the way you would at least, you know, wanted to see them progress. Tyler O'Neill's going to get a, a large amount of playing time this year. Dylan Carlson, I'm not worried about that. Harrison Bader will once he's healthy. Most likely. This is a great chance to see for a period of time what Lane Thomas can do. Do you agree, Nolan? Or Nolan, Logan? I'm thinking <laughs> Nolan, Nolan Arenado over here. No, we got too many Nolans on the Cardinals, Logan. Yeah, truly, I agree. I agree with what you're saying about Lane Thomas and the Cardinals not giving the young people, I'd say, tr- truly enough en- enough time to show. W- what they're worth and they've proven though that they're ready they they want to do that you know getting or you know moving on from dexter fowler um i i think show yeah, that i mean they that's a big sign of confidence to. in the youth of this outfield that's a big I love sign it. of confidence i think it's yeah. something that was a necessity that i mean we talked on it. this show where i was very skeptical of getting rid of dexter fowler just because you know you know what dexter fowler has given you and you're kind of going into the unknown a little bit with your youth but I, that's a move that i think the I, cardinals need to lean on i think that the worth of of what they are, you know, potentially or losing out on in Dexter Fowler is completely worth finding out what they are going to have in those young outfielders, and I think that it's going to pay off well for the Cardinals. I really do. I think that they're going to find out some good things about these young guys because I think there's a lot of potential in these young guys. They just really haven't shown a lot of it yet. So I'm looking forward to figuring that out. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, take it or leave it. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. Here we go. Let's get into some take it or leave it on 89.9. Starting it off, we're going to keep with the Cardinals talk. Harrison Bader will be the fourth outfielder when returning to the Cardinals from the IL. I'll start with you, Nathan Tucker. Uh, I'll leave it kind of piggybacking off of our previous conversation. I think that whenever he's healthy, he'll get that center fielder spot back. I think it'll end up kind of shifting around a little bit. I think probably see Lane Thomas as that fourth outfielder. So, yeah, I'll leave it. Logan, how about you? I'm actually going to leave it, too. Going off of what Nathan said about... Harrison Bader, when he when he comes back healthy, more than likely he's going to get that center fielder position back, and Lane Thomas could 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 be that fourth outfielder, or it could just in general be switched all around. This is a really tough one for me because I think that if Lane Thomas has a lot of success, then or if Dylan Carlson looks good in center potentially, then I think that it'll be theirs to run with. But I think that if Carlson has success in center, they'll just move him back over to right and. Bader will take over center if Thomas struggles. I will leave it also. I'll say Bader takes back that spot, but I wouldn't be, I would be okay with Bader being the fourth outfielder to start. Not that I have a problem with Bader, but if Bader is the fourth outfielder to start, it means that Lane Thomas is having a lot of success. Yeah, exactly. If Bader's in that fourth spot, that means Lane Thomas is 
you know, really exceeding expectations. Let's go ahead and keep on moving here. Next one, a little March Madness talk. We're going to have plenty more later. Take it or leave it, at least one double-digit seed will make it to the Final Four. So right now, we got Oregon State, UCLA, Syracuse. Are those our three double-digit seeds? Nathan, are you looking at it right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to bring it up right now. I think that that's all we have. Yeah, I'm pr- I think you're right. I know Loyola is in it, but they're an eight seed. Yeah, Loyola's so. an eight. And they play uh, Oregon State. They play Oregon State, so that would knock out one of those. And then I think Syracuse is in the same region as Loyola. Yeah, they are. So there's two of them in one, and then on the opposite side, UCLA is on the other side of the bracket. Uh, I'll just leave it just because I think think that the quality of the higher-level teams will kind of take hold here in these later rounds. And I just... I, I can't see any of those big upsets really coming th- coming to the fore any further. So, yeah, I'm going to leave it. I think I, I, I am keeping an eye on Loyola, though. Logan? I'm actually going to leave it as well, oh, well, going off of what Nathan said as well about the – I really don't think there's going to be that, that many upsets than what there already has been. Yeah. Um, this is another tough one for me because I think that I am very intrigued to see – how the oh gosh i don't even know which region it is because like they don't match up with like they don't match up where they are on the bracket with what they really are it's the bottom right one it's one where illinois was the one seed so we're loyola that's the midwest it's the midwest okay so you got loyola you got they're playing oregon state oregon state and then you also have um syracuse facing help me out here nathan tucker uh, uh, my, I, thought had, I thought you had the bracket pulled my pa- up. My page is loading slow. Ah, I'm sorry. You're killing me. You are killing me. <laughs> I know that Syracuse is in there. I think that Syracuse is going... Oh, we also have Oral Roberts in there. Don't forget about the Golden Eagles. Oral Roberts is still in there as a 15 seed. How dare us disrespect the Golden Eagles. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'll leave it. I like Loyola to make another Final Four run in the Midwest region, but I'm not... I, I would not bet against Jim Beheim, Syracuse in March Madness. There's just something about that team in March Madness to where they are able to do things that no one expects. I mean, so, no one expected them to get this far. Exactly. And it, that has happened multiple times in recent seasons where they've been average in the uh, regular season, but then, you know, just turn it on and make it to March somehow. A lot of people were saying they shouldn't even be there, but they made it. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see. But I think that I think that they're an Elite Eight team, uh, at least. But we'll talk about that a little more. I'm giving away all my discussion for next uh, or next segment, or the, in a couple of segments away from now. Let's go ahead and keep on moving here. Next one, take it or leave it. Shohei Otani will have a game this season where he hits a home run while he is pitching. I don't know if it's happened yet. It sounded kind of interesting to me. I said, why not? Throw it in there. And Logan? Personally, I'm going to take it because you look at a guy like Shohei Otani that – in my opinion, is an all-around really freaking good pitcher. Well, pitcher slash right, whatever you call it. Um, He's a dual athlete. He was a dual way athlete. What, you, what do you yeah, call a it? Du- a dual athlete. I don't even know what you call it. I mean, there hasn't there hasn't been a guy like Shohei in at least major league baseball before. Yeah, yeah, Babe Ruth. Babe, yeah. That's like that's like it. That's a that's the only it's real Shohei and the Babe. That's, that's about it. That's like the only the real present. The only real precedent for a, a talent like Shohei, and, you know, Shohei had a bit of a rough season in 2020, but I'll, I'll take it. I think, yeah, you know, obviously it kind of 
comes down to the whole matter of being an interleague game and him being on the schedule and it's you know kind of a happenstance thing as far as that goes but I mean I kind of expect Otani to have a season more like what we saw from him in his first season 2019 I expect him to kind of you know get back to that level of play and I, I mean if he gets back to that level of play there's good odds of him hitting a home run when he's pitching the colossal of clout <laughs> the Sultan of Swat. yep there it is the great Bambino uh, I just had it was stuck in my head the entire time you we were talking but um <laughs> I agree. I really do. I'm going to take it also, just for the heck of it. Why not? Why Why leave this? That just seems like can unfair I, can to I, say. Can I like, tag on a take tag it on, or leave it tag here? Tag on. Uh, over, under uh, 15 or 20. Actually, it'll go 20 home runs for Shohei this year. Take. He's at five in spring, and he's looking really good at the plate. Looks a lot more comfortable. He's looking good on the mound. I think he is going to have his best season in the majors this season. What amazes me about him is how much he lets the ball travel in the in the box. I mean, how much he yeah, lets the it ball, travel in the zone. The ball zone. gets really deep gets, into the zone in yeah. a swing. So I, I love watching him play because it's just fascinating. He plays the game in a way that's almost different than anyone else in the majors. And I think a lot of that is coming from uh, playing over in Japan where the ball is played a little – or Korea. It's a, it, Korea he, or Japan? He played in Japan. Uh, Japan. just It's played different over there. Yeah, it's and a different more, style. It's, a, it's fascinating to watch him play the game, and I think he's a phenomenal ball player. Why not? I'll say screw it and take it this year that he, he's able to do it at least once this season. I think he hit 22 his first year, so yeah. I like around there once again. But, a shoot, he's hit five in spring training, so what the heck, man? He's, he's tearing it up right now. Um, let's go ahead and keep on moving here. Next one, take it or leave it a team with a new QB1 will be playing in the Super Bowl next season. I'll start it off. Leave it. I think that um, I think there's <laughs> pretty a, quick with that answer. I think there's a very good chance that we could see the same two teams in the Super Bowl next year. I think the Buccaneers have cemented their spot now that the Saints are gone. Uh, the Packers lost some pieces. They're still a good ball team, don't get me wrong. Aaron Rodgers still great, but I think the the Buccaneers I mean, they clicked at the end of the season clearly. I'm not going against the Buccaneers to be back in the Super Bowl um, this season. And so that takes out the NFC. And, you know, despite the chief struggles in the Super Bowl last year, they're still by far the best team in the AFC. I'm not going against them either. The most likely teams to be able to do so, I think that the Rams could make a run with Matthew Stafford. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up seeing them as a two seed in the NFC. And then I'm also, you know, Carson Wentz with the Colts. They're probably, I, th- I would say they're probably the third or fourth best team in the AFC now. Maybe they make a little bit of a run, but I'm leaving this. I, you gotta st- I have to stick with the Chiefs and the Buccaneers as the two best teams in the NFL that they're going to be back in the Super Bowl. Nathan? Yeah, I'm going to stick with that and leave it as well. I think you, you, you mentioned both the Rams and the Colts, probably the two best contenders. I mean, unless you really want to get funky with it and you know talk a little bit of Washington football team and talk with the Fitz Magic, I mean, if you really want to go there. Let's say that, I mean, I feel like that's a step I'm not quite willing to take so far. Don't uh, disrespect the the Fitz Magic. I say it's, you know, the Fitz Magic is real. I mean, he's proven that in the past. But yeah, <laughs> I, I I think that you know the Rams and the Colts are the teams that have the shortest distance to go to be a team that is like in the Super Bowl or challenging for a Super Bowl team. Adding that quarterback obviously helps out both those sides. But I don't think it's quite enough. I kind of think we're you know, like you said, heading for a Super Bowl rematch. Logan, I'm gonna leave it as well. Just as long as, just kind of, basing off of what you guys said, it's gonna be a Super Bowl rematch this season. It's kind of it's kind of obvious. There's really, 
It's clear who the two best teams are. It, yeah. It's like the one team I feel like could make a run run for their money is the Rams, as you guys were saying. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, let's go ahead and let's keep on moving here. We got a couple more. Next one, take it or leave it. The Houston Rockets will lose another 20 <laughs> games before winning another. They're on good. They're on pace for it. I think they've lost two or three in a row now after winning. Traded somehow. Victor Oladipo this week. Yeah, Miami Heat fans are celebrating, including us. We'll give a little like air high yeah. five over here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, saying pro, we're staying six feet apart. We have, over here. we have, you know, we yeah, we're staying six feet apart, and we're trying to remain objective with our basketball coverage, just, <laughs> I'll, as I'll, always. You know what? Maybe it probably won't happen, but I'm taking it for the heck of it. This team's like really bad right now. They went from being like a four seed in the West last year to being a bad team. So quickly, I will take it, Nathan. Yeah, I'm going to leave it just because I think by odd of averages and just the way that the NBA kind of works, they're going to run into a game where a team goes cold shooting the three and they win the game by like 10 points. And no one really understands why, but they'll just leave it the win and people will be happy. You see, like last night, they didn't score in the last like seven and a half minutes of the game and they lost because of it. Like they were winning. And all that cracked me up. I mean, that's a that's so a Houston Rocket Rockets loss. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. It was the 76ers, then it was the Hornets, and now it's the Rockets. It's it's hilarious. Uh, let's go ahead and keep on moving. But actually, I almost skipped you, Logan. I'm sorry. What do you, what you got on the uh, for us, Logan? I'm actually gonna take it as well because personally, I feel like yeah. the, I feel like the Rockets <laughs> have just went downhill. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's simple as that. that that's all right. about all you have to say, really. We got 30 seconds before we got to go to break. This isn't really a take it or leave it one. It's more so a this or that one. So I'll change up this or that. Are the Seattle Kraken, the new expansion team in the NHL, more likely to draft a forward or a defenseman from the St. Louis Blues? Nathan? Defenseman Vince Dunn. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say the exact same thing. I think that maybe the Blues were thinking, should we keep done for a little while, maybe go with a forward, and the, the one that sticks out as the main forward, if they're going to drop one, is David Perron, and David Perron's leading your team in goals, assists, and points. So Probably don't want to drop I'm him. I'm saying don't drop him, especially with the struggles of the Blues right now. So I'm going to go ahead and say that. Defenseman. Logan. Personally, I'm going to go, again, go along with what you guys are saying with the uh, Seattle crack and they're gonna draft uh, Vince Dunn. Yeah, I agree. Which I'll hate to see Dunn or go. You know, good, good uh, a good guy. He's been serviceable for the Blues. Like he, he's done his his part. He you know he helped lift a cup. So he has. But it, it, I think it's time. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Mike Claiborne from uh, Cardinals baseball radio broadcasting powerhouse KMOX is going to be joining us uh, to talk some Cardinals baseball. Really looking forward to that. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. It's the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9 and we have the absolute pleasure to be joined by Cardinals broadcaster for KMOX, Mr. Mike Claiborne. Mr. Claiborne, how are you doing this morning? Ethan, I'm doing great, man. But please don't call me Mr., man. Call, you can call me Mike. You can call me for lunch. You can call me for dinner, but don't call me Mike. You got it. You're, you're, you're Mike. You're Mike now. All right. Well, we, right. we appreciate, appreciate you being able to join us and, you know, just really excited for opening day. But before we get into some Cardinals baseball, I mean, there was some really sad news for the city of St. Louis this week. Blues legend Bobby Plager passing away. And I know, you know, you've been involved in Cardinals media, Cardinals broadcasting for a long time. So I assume that you have something to share or to say about Bobby or a special moment with him. Is there anything you can say on uh, Bobby Plager and just his importance to this city? 
Well, you know, I've known Bobby Plager for 40 years. Um, considered him a great friend. Um, one of the things about Bobby, he was always uh, he was always positive. He was a guy who could make you laugh. He either had a joke or a story or, or something. And um, we would just sit and talk hockey sometimes for hours. And uh, sometimes a cocktail was involved. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you couldn't have met a better person and a better representative for your organization. And, and uh, he's going to be missed. And along with another person who I'm not sure, I know it was released yesterday, Joe Cunningham, uh, who played for the Cardinals. He was second in the batting championship in 59. Uh, had a really good career. I think he ended up with a 290-plus average. Uh, but here's what he was known for. You know, luxury boxes and suites that you see today in various ballparks and arenas around the country. He was the first guy who came up with that idea. And um, the luxury seating, you know, the green seats behind home plate, that was his idea. And he also was involved in the Fred Bird program where, you know, Fred Berg and some myself and other people have gone around to different schools and talked to kids about, you know, staying off drugs and positive things. And so he was a great ambassador. We lost two of them in the same week, which is uh, pretty tough because they were both wonderful people. Yeah, very sad news. Um, I mean, you're looking just looking at the the icons that the city of St. Louis has lost in athletes in the past year. It's been rough. But, you know, Good things to look forward to in the upcoming week. We got opening day, the Cardinals traveling up north to Cincinnati. Cannot wait to get back underway with it. You know, spring training wrapping up now. We have a couple more games, but what was your biggest takeaway um, from spring training? Well, you know what? I was happy with the emergence of uh, Tyler O'Neill got off to a good start. Uh, Adam Wainwright was the best pitcher in the spring. Um, you know, Justin Williams really kind of made a name for himself, and Dylan Carlson was really solid. Um, so, you know, it, it was a, a good spring. Had a couple of hiccups as far as injuries and lack of productivity, but that happens in every spring uh, with some team and somebody. But overall, I, I thought it was a good good camp. Uh, you know, the, the situation was a little adverse because of COVID and all the protocols. But I think the Cardinals probably had a little bit of an advantage with it considering they went through it last year. So that is something that I think may help them and help them create a better bonding environment than a lot of teams who didn't deal with it last year. Uh, hey, Mike, uh, Nathan Tucker here. I, you know, I kind of think it's you know obvious to say most Cardinal fans are going to be paying attention to Nolan Arenado come opening day. You know, with that said, uh, besides Arenado, what are you kind of paying attention to or looking at with this Cardinals team? Well, I'm looking to see what can happen in right field. Um, I'm not worried about Carlson. I think Carlson might be a better center fielder than Bader before it's all said and done. Uh, O'Neal has deserved the opportunity to play this year with what he did in the spring. Uh, I'm looking at Paul DeYoung. I think he's got to step up. I think, you know, he's had his moments. And, of course, I think the pitching staff, um, we're a little thin right now in pitching as far as starters are concerned. And I think the key is to get through the first month without any real damage, and we'll see where it takes us from there. Yeah, you weren't kidding when you talked about uh, the pitching, the starting rotation being a little bit thin as we move on into uh, opening day. Looking at that, how do you expect that to look at this point? We have a few question marks as far as that go. We know that Flaherty will be there. We know that Wainwright will be there. Hopefully K.K. Kim is in the rotation um, come opening week, but he's a question mark at this point. 
Mark, who are you expecting to fill in on those other two spots potentially? Well, I think you got Flaherty, Wainwright, Martinez. I think John Gantz, another guy. And uh, I think KK will be part of the rotation. Uh, I, I think when you look at the amount of off days we have in the first month, I think we have at least three. Uh, you can kind of play with some situations. So I, I really look at that being the most viable option. You know, Daniel Ponce de Leon has been given chance after chance after chance to be consistent, and he hasn't been able to find it. And case in point, last week, um, you know, he, 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 he gets into trouble in the first inning. They take him out. They give him another chance, what they call a rollover. And he ended up walking six people over the night. You, you just can't walk people in the game. I mean, it, it's, it's the death of you. And, and this has been something that's been, you know, the unfortunate consistency about him is his lack of control and his ability to throw too many pitches too early. And, you know, you mentioned the walking, and that was a problem I think that we saw, especially early in spring training. I mean, when you have a team like this behind you, I mean, with the amount of phenomenal defense that they have, both infield and outfield, walking it just uh, became such a big problem. Is that something that you are concerned about going into the regular season as the problems we saw with uh, Cardinals pitchers uh, putting too many guys on base? Well, I, I am with Ponce de Leon. I think the other guys are, are a little bit better. They've shown better control. Um, so I'm not really – you know, and I think everybody's going to have that problem early on. Everybody, you know, we go from throwing fastballs to trying to make sure your slider's biting and your sinker's down, and, and that happens. Uh, you know, you, you don't have pinpoint control right now, but I think at this point there have been some guys who have moved forward. You know, Jack Flaherty is a good example. You know, he got lit up in the first outing because he was experimenting with some things and just wanted to see what the reaction would be off his hitters. Now, the last outing, he had, he gave up four runs, I believe. One was a home run. Another run uh, was scored. Two runs were scored because a guy dropped a routine ball at first base. And another run was scored because an outfielder who may not even be on this team misjudged a fly ball. So when you look at the box score, you say, oh, Flaherty had a rough out. No, Flaherty was pretty good. You know, and I think when you look at the box scores down here, you have to take into account Who's playing behind you? Yeah, and uh, an eighteen, and I would call him an eighteen, wouldn't have made those mistakes. So, you know, you just got to throw strikes, as you mentioned, and you know, let them hit it. And, and I'll give you a good example: Carlos Martinez the other day was lights out. All right, he he was throwing a sinker and a cutter and a slider to go along with his fastball, and he hit ground. He had ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. I mean, he's always one of the top guys in the league in inducing double plays. Now, the question is, can he stay focused early? If he stays focused early, then he could be a handful for anybody. Because right now, or I'll say this at any time, Carlos Martinez has the best stuff on the team. He can throw five to six pitches for strikes. It's just a matter of him locking in. And from what I gather, uh, and I talked to Yadier Molina maybe a couple of weeks ago about it, um, he just said he's a different guy. He's a little bit more mature. He's a little bit more focused. And let's just hope that carries into the season. 
Uh, hey, moving into you know the lineup that we've kind of seen in spring training so far, we've seen Mike Schilt kind of shift. You know, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado from that three-four spot to that two-three. Uh, do you expect mm-hmm. that to kind of follow into the regular season, or who do you expect to be the cleanup guy in the this season? That's a great question, Nate. Um, it's one of those things that. If it were a perfect world, it would be Paul DeYoung. My concern is Paul DeYoung gives away too many at-bats. He strikes out too much. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to work, to be honest with you. Uh, they may slide some guys down. Maybe they move Carlson into the two spot. They move Goldschmidt to the three. I mean, to the four. Uh, that could be something we could see. Uh, but the bottom line is Paul DeYoung has got to do something. Uh, you know, the strikeouts are too plentiful. The walks are not enough. And, you know, if you make a mistake with a fastball, he can hurt you. But other than that, he can't catch up to the four-seam fastball. That's the one they get him out on. So he, he's got to be more selective. He's got to quit getting himself out. And if he does that, then he could be your fourth hitter. But right now, I'm just not sure if anybody really wrestled that away from anybody else right now. So he may go with a combination of matchups and see who does what against whom down the next couple of weeks. And, and that is something I'm really intrigued to see how Mike Schilt works with the lineup because I wouldn't be surprised if in especially the first couple of weeks, it's maybe changing quite a bit. You know, I from what we've seen in spring training, I assume it's probably going to be 2-3 Goldie Arenado, but maybe that shifts back, you know, give a guy like Paul DeYoung or Dylan Carlson's uh, the two spot, and I think that maybe that gives them a little bit more of a a few more strikes in the zone with having to face those threats behind him. Uh, do you think eventually that's something that will change, or do you think it's just going to be kind of played by ear, kind of based on the success they have with the lineup? How do you think that that will work along? That's a good question, and I think I'm going to go more with your first premise with respect to maybe matchups. And I'll give you a good example. Um, you know, John Nagowski has a good chance of making this team. And – I, and I was talking to Mike Schilt about it this morning, and I and so he so he he I said, "What do you think?" And you know, we have well, I've known Schilty since he broke in with in the organization in the minor league. So I just said, "Well, you know, Nagowski can make it because you're going to see two good left-handed relievers, and Amir Garrett, who hasn't given up a, a run or a hit in the whole spring, and then Josh Hader in Milwaukee. And I like I like the kids' chances more than I like some of the other guys that you have." Well, I shouldn't call him a kid. He's 28 years old. But uh, my point being, you're going to look up for matchups. And so maybe the next couple of weeks, maybe there's not an opportunity. So maybe you move somebody else in that spot. But I think overall, you're going to probably play this by ear. So I always tell people what you see in April is not what you're going to see in June. It's not what you're going to see in July. It's darn sure not what you're going to see in September. And um, that's where you have to be sharp with your minor leagues. You have to be able to look out. Maybe you might have to make a deal because the Cardinals don't have a bona fide left-handed bat with any true experience. Think about it. You got two switch hitters with a combined, let's say, year and a half of experience. And you have Justin Williams, uh, who probably doesn't have 50 games under his belt as a major leaguer. And then you have Matt Carpenter, who was one for 31 in the spring so far. And, I mean, he's going to play probably today or tomorrow. I mean, today or Monday. And, you know, he's got a chance to go over 34. 
Yeah. I mean, one for 34. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit concerning f- figuring out that situation. I sure do hope that the Nogfather, John Nagowski, we're a big fan of him here uh, at the station, that he gets in there. But uh, either way, um, if you are just tuning in, we're joined by Cardinals broadcaster Mike Claiborne. Follow him on Twitter at Claibs Online. You can also check out his YouTube page, Claibs Online, with Mike Claiborne to get the latest info on St. Louis sports. I'm a subscriber. Definitely go subscribe to that to get great information. Uh, uh, always appreciate the info that you're putting out um, for the Redbirds and um, everything in St. Louis, a uh, revolving sports, Mike. Um, we appreciate you joining us. Before we let you go, if we could just get you know your end-of-season projection for the Cardinals, where you see them after 162, maybe a little bit of a playoff run, where do you expect the Cardinals to be after the season? You know, I expect them to win the division. I think it's going to be more competitive than people think. I think Milwaukee's going to be a handful. Uh, Cincinnati can swing the bat. I don't know if they've got enough pitching and they don't catch the ball well enough. And then you have the Cubs, who are going to have to make some decisions early. Are they going to have a fire sale, or are they going to try and sign some of these guys? So it's going to be a, a division that we should all kind of just say, well, we're going to stay tuned. But I think the Cardinals can win it. Um, now, what happens after that in postseason, who knows? I mean, there's always a team that you least expect to pop up uh, and do some damage. I think that National League East division is really, really tough this year. I mean, you got the Mets and Miami and Atlanta and Washington. All of those teams are capable of getting into postseason play. And then you've got the West with the Dodgers and the Padres. I don't see anybody else really making a move there. So, you know, who knows who you open up with. The, the thing I always remind people is just get in. Just get in. If you get in, who knows what can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, fingers crossed the Cardinals can make a little bit of a run. We'll see how that works out for them. But either way, thanks again for joining us this morning, Mike. I almost, almost called you Mr. Claiborne, but, I, <laughs> but I, was able, I was able to hold myself in. But thanks again. We really appreciate you joining us on. And you enjoy uh, the start of the season. And uh, hopefully we can uh, talk to you a little bit into the season about some Cardinals baseball also. Well, Ethan and Nate, anytime you guys want me, just give me a holler. It's great to visit with you guys, and best of luck with your careers. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate that. We're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, we're going to be talking March Madness. It is here, and it is in full swing. Sweet 16, starting in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking about it and giving our picks of the week. Picks of the day, I guess. I mean, whatever. It works either way. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to travel through time. I bid you adieu. Well, for this date in sports history, it'll go back to 1998, you know, the year of the last dance, the year of the Jordan Bulls. And with the Jordan Bulls coming to town, the Atlanta Hawks rented out the Georgia Dome and sold out (laughs) 62,046 tickets for their game against the Jordan Bulls. The largest attendance for any NBA game in history and still holding that record today. The Bulls won the game. You know, they did have that Michael Jordan guy after all. They were okay. A little bit. They were decent. How many, what what did you say? What was the attendance for that? 62,046. Wow. Great. I'm just thinking like an arena size, like what Enterprise holds about 19,000. That's crazy. That's a lot. Yeah, that's. I mean, that is the Georgia Dome completely sold yeah, out. That's that's crazy for basketball. Yeah, that, that, that's something. That's that's relatively impressive. All right, y'all. 
It's time. Let's get into some March Madness talk. Oh, I'm so glad that it's, you know, we're in the midst of it. Sadly, oh, so sadly, our teams are all out. Illinois is done. Mizzou's done. My Spartans are out. SLU didn't even make the tournament. So it's been a little bit rough for us, but, you know, we're it's still Sweet 16. There's still going to be some great action today. But let's talk about, you know, I don't want to talk about Mizzou. I don't want to damper our moods even more than we have to. <laughs> but let's talk about Illinois for a moment. Somehow they got upset yeah, uh, last week, last Sunday, by Loyola Chicago. Listen, I'm not trying to say Loyola isn't a good team, because clearly they are, but Illinois was just bad in this ballgame. Did not perform well. Nathan, I know you're a big Illinois fan. Any thoughts on uh, the performance of the Illini last Sunday? I mean, I'll start off with kind of what you led with, and I honestly don't think that, one, Loyola probably should not have been an eight seed. I think Loyola... Completely agree. That yeah. is the best thing that has been said today. Yeah, say, I think Loyola should not have been an eight seed, and Illinois, as a one seed, has to kind of deal with that and has to play a Loyola team that's you know probably a top 25 you know level team and probably gets disrespected a bit playing in the Missouri Valley. They were a in the net rankings that March Madness like you know that the NCAA puts out year round they were a top 10 team consistently yes. for most of the season yeah they're in that top 10 you know area they're they play a lot of really great basketball and like I said I think you know they get disrespected being from the Missouri Valley and Illinois just ran into a team that was you know prepared to play against them and matched up against them really well and you know, that Loyola defense, they, you know, double teamed Iota Sumnu. And whenever Illinois was trying to run that pick and roll that's been so successful for them a lot between Io and Kofi, you know, being it usually that's a, been a pretty successful uh, formula this year where you just, you know, throw the ball to Io and, you know, also just toss the ball down to Kofi down low because he's such a big guy and he's a bigger body than basically anyone else in college basketball. But, you know, Loyola just matched up with them so well. You know, Illinois couldn't get anything going offensively. They were bottled up the entire game. I saw a tweet that cracked me up. I mean, made me laugh so hard. It said, it was uh, Barstool Carl said, who the heck, heck, schedules a one seed against a 100-year-old nun on a Sunday? Made me die. <laughs> but, I mean, it kind of was like a painful laugh. It was like, <laughs> oh, they lost. That sucks. But, yeah, I mean, they didn't shoot For someone well. who had Illinois in his bracket, yeah. They it's didn't, a yeah. painful laugh. And, you know, that's one of, my, one of my teams, you know. like I mean, the bracket, what are the odds you actually do anything with that? But, you know, you, you hope that, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the one year in 15 years that Illinois has had a legitimate, really good ball team. And, you know, you got a lot of seniors leaving. You wonder when's the next time that the, or the, an opportunity like this is going to come. So it sucks. But, I mean, when it comes down to it, Iota Sumnu had nine points. And he could. Carbello had, what, he didn't have room nine. To, I think he Frazier didn't have room two. to score more, frankly. Like, really there didn't. was not really an opportunity for him to make a pathway into that Loyola defense. Loyola was just so, you know, the defense was so staunch. So there's, you know, Illinois really didn't, you know, offensively, the play calling wasn't necessarily creative enough to break down Loyola. Speaking of Loyola, as we get into our picks of the week, let's get to it. So Loyola faces off against 12 seed Oregon State today. Who do you got in this one? You know, I think the Beavers have kind of surprised a lot of people. I mean, obviously the 12th seed getting this far is, you know, a little bit of a surprise. I think, you know, if you know March Madness, you're kind of expecting one of these 12 seeds, one of these lower seats to kind of make one of these runs. But, you know, Oregon State shocked Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament, kind of you know, solidified that 12th seed spot. I don't think that they have enough to kind of compete with Loyola. I think Loyola, you know, showed, you know, they just showed how, 
you know, dominant and how much they can really stifle an offense against Illinois. And I mean, you know, one of the, the the team that a lot of people said going in was the best team in the country. Yeah, one of the best. Shut team, them down. One of the best teams in the country. One of the best offenses in the country, especially with Io and Kofi and Iloila completely shut them down. Oregon State doesn't have an Io or a Kofi around. They have some good players on that team, but I think Loyola can still, you know, choke them out and still win this one. I do too. This is going to be. A, I think this is going to be a really good game. I'm really looking forward to this game today. Um, but I do think that Loyola just is the better team in this matchup. Next one, number one Baylor facing off against number two seed Villanova. I'm going to go with Baylor in this game. I think that they are. I mean, I think that they're probably the second best team left. Maybe the third, but I mean they're a solid ball. Depending team. on I mean, how you want to rank those top teams, they're, they're, I don't think they're still at the level that they were before COVID hit. You know when they had that, or before you know they had that COVID stint there, and they you know missed them some time. But there's every game they're looking more and more like themselves, and I think that Villanova, not the same team that we've had in recent years. You know, being the back-to-back champs that they were, I'm gonna go ahead and say Baylor wins this one, and I. Competitive game, don't expect Villanova to keep this, you know, down to the wire. Yeah, a competitive but not necessarily tight game, I would yeah. say. You a know, game where, 8 to 10. Yeah, Baylor is going to have to constantly, you know, not take their foot off the gas, right? They're going to have to still play a good game against, you know. I think a lot of people thought this Villanova team would already be out of the tournament right now. I think... Uh, a lot of people are probably, you know, thinking that Georgetown would be a good, you know, chance to upset them and, you know, get past them in this conf- in this play. But uh, yeah, I don't. I think Baylor's just too strong for them. I think Baylor just matches up too well. Ba- we've seen, you know, ba- if you are, as an Illinois fan getting to see Baylor play against Illinois at the very start of the season, you got to see how you know long, how athletic that team is, and I think they do that almost better than anyone else in the country. Villanova is just going to have a hard time keeping up. Next ball game, we got number three seed Arkansas against the 15 seed Oral Roberts, baby, the Golden Eagles. The 15 seed, the second 15 seed in college basketball history to make it to the Sweet 16. Oh, I hope they win, but I don't think they're going to. Yeah, it's it, it's. Uh, I hate to say it, but Arkansas and I I underestimated Arkansas going into this tournament. Arkansas is a really good team. Real good team. Really good team. They're a lot better than I had play pe- pegged them to be. I think that they're going to win this ball game today. I think that the luck of the Golden Eagles is just running out. So, congratulations and applause to uh, the Golden Eagles on the performance that they've. I had mean, this making season, it to the Sweet 16. If you would have told them that whenever they started this season, they'd be satisfied with that. Yeah, I think they would have probably, you know, they this, probably would have taken that deal every day. For all Roberts, there you go, guys. Thank you, applause. Congratulations. I hope you win today, but I don't think you're going to. So we'll keep on moving here. Next matchup that we have, number two, the Houston Cougars facing off against the 11 seed, the Syracuse Orange. Syracuse, that is the team they're facing today. We couldn't figure it out earlier. It's Houston. I like Syracuse. I really do. I think Syracuse is going to win this ball game you think today. Jim Beheim can catch I him up. I think that the the fortune of Jim Beheim and the success that he has had in the tournament. I don't. I don't know how he does it. I really don't. But every year, Jim Beheim. Not every year. I'd say about every other year. Jim Beheim with an average team finds himself making a tournament run. A couple years ago, they beat Michigan State. A couple, uh, four, maybe three or four years ago, they were in the Elite Eight Final Four. So, uh, shoot. Yeah, I think they're going to get the upset against the 
Houston team that almost got upset by seven or ten seed Rutgers in the second round. Not that Rutgers is a bad team or anything, but I'm gonna go with Syracuse to win this ball game. See, I'm gonna use that same logic of them beating Rutgers like that to say that they're going to win this. That Houston's going to win this ball game, and they have kind of proven they can fight those battles. They, Rutgers is a good basketball team from a good conference of the Big Ten. Big Ten kind of had a tough, you know, first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Obviously, Illinois losing. Hey, you're not kidding. part of that, but. You know, Rutgers, you know, Rutgers had a good, you know, I think they, they kind of shocked everyone with their first, winning their first round game. But, you know, Rutgers, you know, played a tough game against Houston. Houston is a very good team. I think Houston is, again, again one of those teams that gets kind of looked past because of their conference, right? They don't, they're not necessarily in one of those high-level conferences that gets on TV all the time, so they don't necessarily get the same limelight. I think they kind of fly under the radar. And, yeah, you mentioned Syracuse, Jim Beheim coaching them up. It's going to be a really close game. I think it's going to be a very tight game, but I think Houston takes it. Next ball game, we got the best team in the land, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, the Zags, facing off against Creighton, the Blue Jays, I think. Blue Jays? Yes. The, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah the, Dra- Jays. the Jays. The Jays. Creighton Jays. It's a cool name. Good team name. Con- good ball team, too. They've had a lot of concess- success. Conce- success in they're, consistent recent years. There are the words. Those, that's what you were trying to say. They got out eventually. Gonzaga's going to win this game by like 20 probably. Gonzaga is by far the best team in the country that's left. And I don't expect... I don't expect Creighton to be able to compete with them today. I think maybe Creighton, for the maybe kind of like Oklahoma did last week, where they were able to you know get it maybe within twelve at some points, but it's more so in the fifteen twenty range. That's what I expect from this game. I think Creighton is. I mean, uh, quite obviously, just the way the brackets work, Creighton is the best team that Gonzaga has seen yet so far, and. I think that they're going to give you know Gonzaga a lot more to think about than Gonzaga's had to do in this tournament, but. I, I, I don't think that they can do enough to actually beat Gonzaga or you know make it that close. I think it'll be about a 10 or 15 point game, but yeah, Gonzaga wins. All right, we got three more games. We have three minutes, so let's get into it. We got a minute for each. Next one, number one seed Michigan facing off against number four Florida State. This is an interesting one because a lot of people are picking Florida State to beat Michigan in this ball game. I think a lot of people are underestimating how good this Wolverines team is. I'm going to go with the Wolverines to win this ball game. I like Florida State. I like their ball team, but I just don't know if they're at the level to where they compete with Michigan. This is going to be a good ball game, though, for sure, but I'm going to lean the Wolverines. I mean, Florida State's kind of made their path to kind of making these upsets and these kind of big, you know, the SEC tournament. They made a nice run in the ACC, SEC. ACC tournament, excuse me. The south, okay. southeast of the United States. I was yeah. mixing them all up. But uh, yeah, the right idea. Yeah, say they had a good run in their tournament. I think that they've kind of you know they've developed a little bit of a swagger there, and I think that's why you get some of those people you know believing in Florida State over Michigan, even though Michigan hasn't won that or hasn't lost that much at all this season. I think it's hard to go against the Wolverines here. I got Michigan in this one. The last two ball games are probably the two best that we have seen, or that I think we're going to watch tomorrow. Number two seed Alabama facing off against 11 seed UCLA. I'm so excited for this game. UCLA has surprised a lot of people with their stellar performance. They have won three ball games now, despite only being the third round. So because they were in the first four, beat my Spartans. Pain. Um, but I think that this is this might be the best game of the day. I'm gonna go ahead and say Alabama wins it, but I think it's going to be a very close game, Nathan. 
Yeah, I think Alabama's going to win this one. Like you said, I think it's it's going to be tight. It's going to be close. UCLA will fight in this one. But Alabama, I would say probably, you know, the best light of a, you know, SEC a little bit weirder this year. No Kentucky. There was good, because it was good without Kentucky. Yeah, like exa- you said. yeah, exactly. SEC is so good. It's been kind of without- weird like that recently. Two years ago, Auburn was in the final four. I mean, uh, I mean, go for it. LSU's, you know. It's, was- a, cha- it's a changing of the tide, as it were, you know. The cr- no the pun cr- intended. Yeah, the Crimson Tide coming through. They're uh, good at more than just football. Yeah, that, that's basically Woo! what this has been. I, I think that continues. I as one of my sleepers for the final four is this Alabama Crimson Tide team. Me too. Me too. I got three of my four teams left, but the one that I had is winning it all is gone. So a little yeah, bit. Of, little yeah, bit of, yeah. Go Illini. I-L-L. Um, last matchup, we got USC, Oregon. I also think this is going to be a phenomenal game. I feel like this is one of those situations I'm picking USC because they are just so good, hot right now. They're playing such good basketball. Mobley's a, Evelyn Mobley's an absolute monster. And I'm like... I can't wait for the Elite Eight matchup with Gonzaga and USC and then watch Oregon like win as I'm talking <laughs> about USC, Gonzaga. You're, so, you're heaping too much praise. I am going to say USC gets this win, though, but this is going to be a great game. Yeah, I, I'm kind of on your side with that, too, as well. And I think that, you know, really the NCAA tournament and, you know, tournament sports in general is about just getting hot at the right time. USC has done that. USC has got hot at the perfect time of the year. And I think that, you know, Evan Mobley and this team is just going to be a little bit too much for Oregon to handle. If there's a team that can knock off Gonzaga, I think that if USC wins today, and this win will tell us a lot about this USC team, but if USC wins today, it may be the toughest test that Gonzaga has in the tournament and for the remainder of the tournament. That's my take. Barring maybe like the final, but yeah, I would say that. that I'm going to leave it on that. Yeah, exactly. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have trivia. It's Ethan Hannaford, Logan Elliott, and Nathan Tucker. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. I'm going to ask all the questions around here, and I'm going to give all the answers. It's time for trivia. I'm going to ask you five questions. The answer to every one of them will be on the WLCA Sports Show. Round three. Round three. Logan versus Nathan. Trivia. WLCA Sports Show. Pre-recorded, Nathan told you everything you need to know going in, except for that Nathan is 2-0 against Logan. So Logan looking for his first win on the on his, I guess, his resume. You ready, Logan? I'm, I'm ready. Alright, let's get into it. Question number one. As I look through and sift through trying to find my questions. Question number one. Here we go. On Thursday, Jack Flaherty will make his second straight opening day start. Who was the Cardinals' opening day starter in 2019? Carlos Martinez, Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, or Michael Walker? Hmm, I think Michaelis. I'm going to go Michaelis. Question number two. Last Sunday, one-seed Illinois was upset by eight-seed Loyola, Loyola, Loyola Chicago. There As we haven't been reminded about of it enough yet. Um, in the second round of the NCAA tournament, who was the last one seed to get upset in the second round? <clears throat> Sorry, I should probably give you options, shouldn't I? A little bit. Xavier or Xavier? Michigan, Kansas State, or Villanova? Ooh, sitting here racking my brain a little bit. I'm going to go Xavier. I'm going to go Kansas State. Question number three, when was the last time the Cardinals played the Reds in Cincinnati on opening day? 1988, 1994, 2010, or 2014? 
I feel like it's in the Great American Ballpark era, so I'm going to go 2010. I'm going to go 2014. Question number four. Only a couple of years ago, Loyola Chicago, back to them, made their first Final Four run. What team did the Ramblers beat to advance to the Sweet 16 in 2018? Miami, Tennessee, Nevada, or Kansas State? I think Tennessee. I'm going to go Nevada. Question number five. How many opening days has Yadier Molina caught in a row now, including Thursday? No option. Including Thursday? Including Thursday. So this one tacked on. 19? I'm going to go 18. 18? All right. So while I count up the score to figure out who our winner was for this week. Nathan, why don't you go ahead and let us know what we missed in sports this week. I know that there was a lot and uh, actually we're going to actually have Logan go ahead and uh, do that. So Logan, can you go ahead and let us know, um, give us the headlines that we missed for this week. You got the, so go down to the trivia and headlines. You see that there? Yeah. So go ahead and just, if you could read through those for me, please. Okay. Thank you. So St. Louis Blues, Oscar. Sunquist. Sunquist, thank you. Tours ACL last weekend, meaning he will miss the remainder of the season. Kansas City Royals sign catcher Salvador Perez to a four, four year, 80. 82 million contract extension. LaMelo Ball fractured his wrist this week and underwent su- surgery on it. He will be reevaluated in four, four weeks. Philadelphia Eagles signed Joe Flacco to a one year deal to be the backup to Jalen Hurts. Houston Astros signed Lance McCullers Jr. to a five year, 85 million contract extension. Chicago Bulls acquired. Ne- uh, Nikola Vucevic. Uh, thank you. Vucevic. From the Orlando Magic in exchange for Wendell Carter Jr., Jr. Otto Porter, and two first-round picks. Denver Nuggets acquire power forward Aaron Gordon and Gary Harris and several other players. Philadelphia 76ers acquired George Hill from the Oklahoma City Thunder in a three-way trade that sends Tony Bradley, Austin Rivers, and two second-round picks to OKC, along with Terrence Ferguson to the New York Knicks. And say uh, I'll pick up here with my favorite team, the Miami Heat, picking up Victor Oladipo from the Houston Rockets. You know, freeing Oladipo from the clutches that were the unfortunate Houston Rockets this season. Uh, kind of moving down our list here. You know, they traded uh, they traded Oladipo for Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley. I should say Shaka Smart leaving Texas and becoming the new head coach of Marquette basketball. Kind of an interesting move there, especially for Marquette. Yeah, yesterday, San Francisco 49ers acquired the number three draft pick in this year's NFL draft in exchange for the number 12th pick and a first-round pick in 22 and 23 and a 2021, 20, or this year, a third-round pick. And fu- last but not least, the Dolphins acquired a number six pick in this year's NFL draft from the Philadelphia Eagles in exchange for the number 12 pick and the 123rd pick in this draft and a first-round pick for next year. And that's our, our headlines. Thank you. Before I count up trivia scores, I got to remember because I'm blanking. Who did you guys have for question number four, which was who did Loyola beat in the 2018 run to get to the Sweet 16? I had Tennessee, I Tennessee. think. Tennessee. I forgot. Miami, Tennessee, Nevada, or Kansas State. Do you remember who you had? I think I had. 
I think you said Kansas State. State. Yeah, I think Kansas I said Kansas State. State. Okay, all right. Well, guess what, guys? We have a tie. So. Oh, great. That well, let's go through the we answers. Get, we get uh, f- our fun tiebreaker question. We now. do, but but first we're going to go through the answers to the questions, and then we will get our uh, tiebreaker question. So question number one on Thursday, Jack Flaherty will make his second straight opening day start. Who was the Cardinals' opening day starter in 2019? Carlos Martinez, Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, or Michael Walker? You both get the ding because you both said uh, Miles Michaelis. So I was there. One to one at this point. Question number two. Last Sunday, one seed Illinois was upset by eight seed Loyola Chicago in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Who was the last one seed to get upset in the second round? Uh, let's see, Logan, you said Kansas State in that one. You get the wrong buzzer. Uh, and then Nathan, you get the ding for getting Xavier correct. So two to one at this point, Nathan leading. Question number three. When was the last time the Cardinals played the Reds in Cincinnati on opening day? Nathan, you said 2010. Logan, you said 14. That is correct. Two to two at this point. Only, and then question number four, only a couple of years ago, Loyola Chicago made their first Final Four run. Uh, what team did the Ramblers beat to advance to the Sweet 16 in 2018? Miami, Tennessee, Nevada, or Kansas State? Uh, Logan, you said Kansas State once again. That is correct. Nathan, you said Tennessee. That one is correct. So three to two at this point. And then the tiebreaker question was, which was question number five, or the Price is right style question. How many opening days has Yadier Molina caught in a row now, including Thursday? Nathan, you said 19, and Logan, you said 18. It was. It is going to be 17, so that is what tied it up. So 3-3 three to three is our score at this point. My last, or my tiebreaker question, which I did not have prepared. He's thinking of it on the fly as we speak, folks. Literally thinking of it on the fly. All right, here, I got it. Aaron Judge. His rookie season, I want to say 2017, how many home runs did he hit? Just closest to closest it. Closest to is correct. Uh, 39. I want to say 25. All right. We have a winner, folks. The winner of trivia this week, thanks to a final tiebreaker question, is... Nathan Tucker getting the win in this one in overtime. Hit 52 home runs. Yeah, his rookie it was pretty season good. in 2017. Pretty good. So both of you were relatively were way off. But uh, I Nate, thought 42. I was getting my numbers mixed up. Well, you didn't even say 42. <laughs> yeah. You said 39. So what the heck, dude? You know, yeah, it's about you the spirit. It right. It's about the spirit of the game, you right? Got it right. Let's hear your uh, post-performance uh, victory speech. You know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, and today we've proven exactly that. But it's about, you know, if you just keep working hard, keep plugging away. Sometimes these kind of bounces fall your way, and you get you can kind of snatch a point here or there, and that's what we were able to do today. Thank you, Craig Berube. Appreciate it. What to look forward to today? We got nine NBA games that no one's going to watch because there's March Madness on all day. 76ers Clippers at 9 on NBA TV. Not trying to hate on the NBA, but there's just more important basketball being played today. Uh, the NBA will heat up soon. Don't worry. Yes. The Cardinals face the Miami Marlins tonight at 5.05. Second last spring training game. They have one Monday, and then they are off to Cincinnati, where Jack Flaherty will face off against Wellington Castillo at 3.10 is first pitch time. The Blues are back on the ice tomorrow against the Anaheim Ducks at 4 o'clock. That one's on Fox Sports Midwest. Hopefully the Blues can... Get a win. Uh, right the ship a little bit. Uh, I hope so. I really hope so. And then 
Sweet 16 action. We got it all day today and tomorrow at 140. We got Loyola, Chicago, and Oregon State. 415, Baylor and Villanova. 625, Arkansas and Oral Roberts. 855, Houston and Syracuse. And then tomorrow, 110, Gonzaga, Creighton. 4 o'clock, Michigan and Florida State. 610, Alabama, UCLA. And then 845, USC and Oregon. Excited for some good action. Any final thoughts today, boys, uh, on our show? I'll, say I'll real quick get in my uh, classic racing plug here for the weekend. Uh, tomorrow, big day for racing. 10 a.m. on ESPN. Formula One starts their season in Bahrain. Lewis Hamilton looking to defend his tr- trophy there. And NASCAR on dirt for the first time in 50 years tomorrow. Oh, baby. Can't wait for that. Love to see those cars sliding sideways around the Bristol Oval. Can't wait for that one. Going to be a fun race. A lot of racing tomorrow. Big day for racing tomorrow. NASCAR on dirt. That doesn't make sense. Yep, it doesn't, Ron Burgundy. All right, well, that concludes today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in, whether it was Facebook Live or 89.9. From Logan Elliott, Nathan Tucker, and Ethan Hannaford, thanks for listening on College Radio's Best.